Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Sit, boo, boo, sit, boo, boo, sit. Girl, I don't. Some bad hat hair. It's a cool show. Not a doctor. Bye. Have a beautiful Premula. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Invincible Season 1. Damask Leary, how are you going? I'm doing very well. I've been watching a shit ton of Dungeon Run, which is a d uh, yes. show on YouTube, um, because... Our D&D group, yours and mine, Brod, um, is fighting a dragon in a couple of weeks. (laughs) So I'm trying to like absorb as much strategy as I possibly can. I sometimes worry that fighting is the optimistic term that you (laughs) are going for here. And they are just trying to not die and maybe get some damage done on this dragon if we're lucky. We'll see how we go. Fingers crossed. Boy, why do we choose to do that? Uh, Who knows? You do. <laughs> Playing our characters, that's why. Uh, yep. I got I got vaccinated today, actually just about an hour ago. Less than, which is exciting. So, first mm-hmm. dose of Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm waiting for my second dose in the next few weeks. That's exciting. Get on it, everybody. Go and get yourself vaxxed. Uh, do it for your health. Do it for everybody else's health. Um, make this, get us through this. Get out the other side so we can start doing fun stuff again. That'd be nice. Yes, please. Uh, also... Just wanted to bring up, out of nowhere, Master mm. of None Season 3 is coming out this weekend. Yeah, crazy. That I don't know if I knew that was even happening. If we talked about it, it was a long time ago. Then all of a sudden there's this featurette sort of explaining what the season's going to be about. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be released. Five episodes coming out this Sunday. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, because um, you sent me the little featurette, which mm. I watched um i wasn't that psyched about a third season of master of none i'd just kind of forgotten about the show to be honest with you yeah i watched that you know i really enjoyed what lena waith did in terms of writing as well as what her character was doing last season um and this feature really tells us that this season will feature her character Mm -hmm. so because of that i'm actually very interested in checking it out me too. It was one of those shows, I think we were both quite enjoying it a lot when we first reviewed it, but that was mm. a long time ago now. Long time. And then time. obviously the, there was the Aziz Ansari uh, controversy mm-hmm. and then he sort of disappeared for a long time and this is, I guess, his return back to doing stuff in the spotlight. Apart from that, he had that stand-up special on Netflix um, a year or two ago now, probably a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to review season three. In fact, so excited we're going to do it next week now. It's only five mm-hmm. episodes, so it shouldn't be too hard to get done in time. So, yeah, uh, going back to one of the first things we reviewed on the on the show, which is interesting. Mm. Um, so, that'll be fun. All right, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Invincible Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. 
Invincible is an American adult animated superhero television series based on the image comic series of the same name by Robert Kirkman, which premiered on Amazon Prime Video on March 25th, 2021. The series revolves around Mark Grayson, an American high school student and son of Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet, as he starts to develop superpowers of his own. Invincible boasts a stacked voice cast, starring Stephen Yeun, Sandra Oh, and J.K. Simmons, supported by Gillian Jacobs, Walton Goggins, Zachary Quinto, Jason Manzukis, Gray Griffin, Zazie Beetz, Mark Hamill, and Clancy Brown, and also featuring the voices of John Hamm, Mae Whitman, Seth Rogen, Mahershala Ali, Nicole Byer, Ezra Miller, Justin Roiland, and many, many more. Season one of Invincible consists of eight episodes, each coming in at around 45 minutes, and took us approximately six hours to watch. In April of 2021, Amazon renewed the series for a second and third season. So, Damask, before mm. we get to our spoiler-free thoughts on Invincible Season 1. Mm-hmm. How much of a fan of superhero comics are you, uh, of the genre of superheroes, I guess, in media in general, and are mm-hmm. you familiar with Invincible before the animated series? All right. Well, first up, I was not familiar at all. I had never heard of Invincible, so I was coming into this uh, completely fresh. Uh, in terms of comics, I'm not a huge fan. I've always found it a little bit little bit difficult to figure out where to jump in um and I hate uh doing anything wrong (laughs) so if I'm really unclear as to like where to even begin I probably just won't even jump in though in saying that I you know did have Marvel Unlimited for a while and I was trying to go through all the the civil wars and all their kind of the veins of major events yeah that kind of stuff which I did enjoy um the superhero genre in general, I really, really enjoy. I'm a huge Marvel fan. Don't love the DC stuff. I don't really like the the darker stories that take themselves sure. super seriously. Um, but yeah, I've even growing up, you know, I had a little Batman and Superman costume. I've always kind of loved that stuff. Yeah. What about you, bro? Uh, yeah, fan of superhero stuff in general. Obviously, MCU, we talk about ad nauseum. We've reviewed the Netflix shows, or most of them. We reviewed mm-hmm. the last two MCU shows that went on Disney Plus in Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision. Talk about that at length. DC, I like generally, but I haven't um, experienced as much stuff apart from the movies. I do like the Nolan Batmans. Um, beyond that, I liked Wonder Woman and not much of the DCEU stuff. Since I'm excited for... James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which is coming out mm. in a few months. Yeah. Beyond that, Superman was never really my thing. I never really read those comics. I've read a lot more Marvel comics. I've read some Batman comics here and there. Batman Year One, Long Halloween, um, a few of those notable ones. The Killing Joke, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I There was a period of time where I was trying to make my way into comic books for a while. I was reading Why the Last Man. I was reading um, Fable and... I started reading Saga, which I may need to get back to. And I do remember Invincible being one of those comic books that was sort of this offshoot of the main one. So there was Vertigo, which is sort of the an offshoot of um, DC, which is mm-hmm. where you saw had your Why the Last Mans and your Sandmans and stuff like that. And then Image Comics was another whole thing as well. But I remember Invincible, I'm very familiar with the image, Invincible's costume. I remember it being a big deal that this was kind of a adult take sort of riff on comics and comic book characters and more familiar elements of that. 
And I, I was one of those ones. It was one of those ones I intended to get to eventually, but then I sort of. It's a very expensive hobby. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't able to sustain it through university, and so I never got around to it. So when the mm. show was announced, it was that situation where I felt like either I need to go and read the comic books finally, or mm-hmm. I should watch the television show. So I'm glad we're yep. doing it now. With all that in mind, Damask, would would you like to give us your spoiler-free review of Invincible season one? I reckon you should go first because in our last podcast, when we were talking about doing this, I kind of gave you. How I felt about it vaguely already. So can, I'm just. Can, I'm, can I can I politely ask that we don't do that and that okay. you go first? <laughs> wow, so I polite. Never, I, and never, yet I never, I never throw it back so at you. I know. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this time that you go first. Wow. All right. Uh, putting me offside immediately. This <laughs> uh, should be interesting. Okay, Brad. I'll I'll go first for you. Um, so I was told that this show is something that I would enjoy by people who recommended it. So I popped it on one day, actually when I was staying with you just before I left Melbourne and I was, went through it. I was like, yep, you know, accurate. I, I do quite enjoy this. Uh, I mean, we've got superheroes. We have some teen drama. We have Jason Manzuka's manic voice screaming at me, which is one of my <laughs> favorite things. And I was digging it. And the show was fine, kind of good. Not great, but I was enjoying myself. And then, bam, the show transformed from one that I was vaguely interested in to something that had me covering my mouth with my hands in shock. That little push over the edge gave the season a nice little mystery and feeling of dread that took it from something I'd pop on to one that I eagerly awaited every week. So unlike most shows that we do on hunting seasons, I didn't binge this one. I was actually watching it as it was coming out, which I think was nice. Uh, Invincible has similar themes to a show like The Boys, although we don't have to suffer through terrible Cockney accents, which I appreciate. (laughs) Uh, And for me, I think that this show, Invincible, handles the tonal shifts from comedy to realistic and brutal violence a lot better than The Boys does. And I think being animated helps in the expression of both of those elements. Now, each element of this show, whether it's the coming of age slash first love story or we've got a ragtag crew of misfit heroes or a deconstruction of superhero violence. All of those things, I think, are enjoyable individually. And thankfully, due to the excellent writing and great voice acting, all these things come together to create an engaging watch that expertly fluctuates from being comedic to terrifying. For all the superhero-ness, I'm glad Invincible shies away from end-of-the-world big bads most of the time. Instead, the stakes are firmly upon the intimacy of the relationships the show builds over the season. Now, it's not the action that's important. It's the repercussions on our heroes' mental health, their family and friends that made me want to tune in every week. Invincible balances the familiar with the new. Yes, it's another superhero thing and there's plenty here that you will recognise, but it has fun while simultaneously examining what all of that history means in a modern context. And in this context, the examination is deeply personal stories. It's about who they are as people behind the mask and how impactful that is to who they can be for the world. Now, on the downside, despite its unexpectedly long episodes for an animated series, a few storylines seem underdeveloped to me. I think Zachary Quinto's robot makes some interesting choices that while I get, I'm still scratching my head about a little bit. Uh, But for the most part, a lot of what is happening in this show works, 
most of the characters are fully realized with their own cares beyond what our main heroes are doing. The show lets us know that there's plenty more to explore in this world. It feels real. It feels lived in. And also there is a demon detective who I love and want to see more of. All in all, this was a show that I expected to like. And at the end of it, it was a show that I ended up loving. All right, over to you, Brud. Are you ready now? Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> As we head into phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and HBO Max releases the four-hour-long Snyder Cut, there has never been a better time for satirical takes, send-ups, and deconstructions of the superhero genre. At first, Invincible looks like a straight DC comic knockoff, with its own versions of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice League in general, with a dash of Spider-Man-esque high school romance drizzled in. But, but soon enough, this familiar facade gives way to something much more adult, violent, and frankly, horrifying. Top this off with a ridiculous voice cast from top to bottom, and you have a recipe for something truly excellent. So why did I find most of Invincible (laughs) to just be okay? Not terrible, Mm. not bad, just fine, all right, whelming. On nearly all fronts for me, it came down to execution. The concept is strong, like really, really strong. Mm. But how it brought this concept to life is where I think its potential has been underutilized. A good place to start for me is the animation, actually. And I think you're right that the animation, using animation to tell this story rather than live action makes sense because animation allows you to do so much more with it. Um, and I also want to say it's it's important to different differentiate between the art style and the animation. A single Mm -hmm. frame or a still image in this show can be really good, I think. It can be sharp and detailed and evocative. But by animation, I really mean the process of making those images move. I think a lot of the time the animation is only okay. And maybe I'm asking for too much. Maybe I've watched too much Avatar and Korra. But even I think of like shows like Rick and Morty, whose art style might not necessarily be as strong, but tends to do a better job of like making things feel alive and and moving and using its animation to make Mm. the that work for me in a better way. Um, That's so interesting because I really didn't find that at all. I thought I really liked the animation. I thought the way they animated human emotion um, in some of those quieter moments, I really liked. And also the action sequences are so visceral and what they do to the human body (laughs) or just bodies in general was like, Whoa! So that's where I I agree with you to some extent. The mm. a still image or an idea, like if you were to take a frame from one of those really evocative, violent moments, mm. I agree. You look at that and go, "Now you can't do that live action. That looks great." Mm. What I mean is, like, there, for instance, at the end of episode five, I think it is five or six. There's a big action scene between a huge amount of heroes and a huge amount of bad guys. Like, and like these should all stand out. And mm-hmm. it's taking place in this small, like, office space almost. This guy's, mm-hmm. like, villain's lair that's, like, part of a skyscraper. And it is, frankly, hard to watch because the animation is not smooth enough. It's stilted. It's hard to really understand what's happening. There's no sense of, like, ebb and flow. There's no sense of, like, kinetic movement. It's just bup, 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 bup. And when we've watched shows like Korra or Avatar, what they're extremely good at was when it comes to the action scenes is knowing when to ramp up the frame rate, slow it down, ramp it up again to create a feeling of kinetic movement. And so Mm -hmm. that really helps with also the way that they frame action. So I went from watching, like, a scene like that in... Invincible and thinking, am I crazy? Am I just being too picky here? And then going watching like a, a episode of Korra and thinking, no, there is a distinct difference in how this is actually being put to screen. Now that's 
being very picky because there are lots of things about this that still work really well from an animation mm. standpoint. There are definitely highlights, but I did think it was like a missed opportunity. I felt like Amazon's budget could have brought this to a whole different level that would have made this work better for me because unfortunately, while again, a moment or an idea is very evocative, if it's not, it's like, it's like when someone shoots live action action and it's cutting constantly and it's hard to tell what's happening versus a really, really well shot and choreographed action scene. And like, the thing that's taking place might be cool in both of them, but if it's not translating to the screen well, then it does. it's not as effective as it could be. That's sort of what's happening here on animation level for me. But more importantly than that, I think, was when it was not the action stuff and it was the, the subtle human stuff, talks between Mark and Amber and Eve and, you know, these teenage characters, I, I didn't think they were doing anything with it. I thought it was very flat. They weren't really using the opportunity to express or emote in a lot of senses, I thought the show was very charmless at times when it should have been much more engaging. I find Mark to be a very, very boring character in general. Mm. I think by the time we get to... I need to get ahead of myself a little bit here. By the time we get to the last <laughs> two episodes, the show mm. takes off in a way that's extremely good. It mm. ends very strong. I also think they buried the lead and that really this season is Act 1 and that yes. the really interesting stuff is yet to come. And so we have six episodes where they are sort of setting up a mystery mm-hmm. that's not really a mystery because we know mm. on some level what's happening. Yeah. We're waiting for the other characters yeah. to catch up. It's and less of like uh, a who or a what. It's, it's The a mystery why. for me is, is the why. Yeah. Except I picked it from episode one. Fair enough. You know like, me. I'm not quite. It, immediately, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if this is what it is because of something that was said in the first episode. Mm. And by the time we got to episode eight and it was revealed, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. But there was no, they weren't doing a good job at misdirecting if they wanted me to think it was something else. Mm-hmm. Every line that was said only confirmed what I thought already. And then, so I'm waiting for the characters to catch up to that. And then the stuff that's going on, like between Mark and Amber, I found utterly flat and boring. I didn't care about them whatsoever. Hmm. What is the appeal of either of those characters in that moment? There is a montage scene in one episode that's meant to like show them being cutesy and romantic and it could not be more <laughs> tropey, basic, like there is nothing about it that gave it personality or charm that elevate it beyond what I've seen done a million times. And the problem is when you are doing things that are building on top of what already exists, whether that's the Justice League, which is a big influence in this as well, mm-hmm. or whether it's Spider-Man, which I think is a really big part of this too, um, particularly the teen like superhero getting their powers for the first time, the responsibility of balancing their mm-hmm. personal life with a thing, you've got to find a new angle. And they didn't find a new angle for that for most of it. It's not until there are scenes between Mark and his dad that are obviously very important, and I do like those for the most part, and then the ending pays that off, but the build-up in between, I'm left with a bunch of episodes where I'm going, I'm not sure what we did here. I'm not sure what this really did for Mark in a lot of ways. The episode that goes to Mars, the episode that goes to college, I'm like, these are really forgettable nothing episodes for me. Mm -hmm. And I found that waste of time until we got to what was actually the story that was worth telling, really, really frustrating. I also disagree on the idea that it's particularly well-written. I don't mm. think... I usually come away from... Because, again, from a structural point of view, I think they sort of stuffed it up. I mm-hmm. think it either really needed to be a mystery or it needed to get to the point faster and it did neither of those things. And then 
I, if from a dialogue perspective, I usually am writing down things that I find like really funny or great lines that, you know, are evocative of a certain idea, or I'm writing down the ones that are terrible. Mm-hmm. And I didn't write down any for the mm-hmm. entire show. Like nothing stood out to me as being good or awful. Like if you're going to, I feel like it needs to be one or the other at least <laughs> to be interesting. And instead, I just found like I was down the line. And this is sort of the ultimate problem. It's like I was kind of bored for a surprising amount of this show. That's and amazing to me. I, I know. <laughs> and and like I had the same moment as you in episode one, right? You explain mm. like what it felt like and I was like, yeah, this is okay. And then it has that bam. And I was like waiting for that to happen. Not that I, I knew what was going to happen. I was like, this show really needs to do something to set itself apart. And then mm. it didn't. I was like, awesome. Here we go. And then there's five other episodes where it didn't really fulfill that beyond being violent in ways that normal comic books aren't. Mm-hmm. But until episode seven and eight, I don't think that really mattered. I think it just made mm-hmm. it an R rating when everything that was happening on screen could have been part of a normal Justice League animated teen show. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of left wondering on some degree, like, who is this intended for? Because when so much of the energy is put into this teen drama that I don't care about, that maybe I would have if I was a teenager, then it's meant for teenagers, right? But the adult nature of this is an R18 show in Australia suggests it's made for adults. I'm um, just like, I think it's got an identity crisis. It doesn't know. It's too tied to the past. It's not doing enough to be new. It holds itself back when it should be going forward. It gets somewhere really cool. Mm. But I was left frustrated and bored in the, in the meantime, I think. I do want to finish by saying, though, I did think the ending was extremely, extremely strong. Episode 7 and 8 mm-hmm. pay off what work was done previously. I did like quite a lot of what they did with some of the side characters, though. The C and B mm. stories I found far more interesting than what was happening with Mark through the majority of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly what was happening with Adam Eve towards the end of the season. I was like, now that is a new take and a, a great way to explore this idea of what it means to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that should be its own show because that's really interesting. And I also th- like the robot stuff ultimately because some it's like a very interesting sci-fi concept in terms of the complexities of like living as a superhero where all this weird stuff happens to you in ways that normal humans can't experience and what it means to try and exist as a normal person inside that. I quite mm-hmm. liked where they went with that as well. Um, I'm interested in talking to you about that because it sounded like it didn't hit so well for you. Yeah. All that being said, I just want to come back to something I said earlier. I thought Invincible's just at best or at too much of the time kind of boring. And in some ways, I think that's worse than being bad. I kind of wish this show was swinging for the fences and missing more often rather than just playing it kind of safe and samey and too familiar too often until it finally got to the place places that set apart. And yeah, I'm, I'm left just kind of going, it was all right. That's where I'm at. Anyway, that was a mess. Uh, I got far too emotional there. Final score, how would you give this, how would you rate this season out of five stars to mask? Well, unlike you, I, I certainly wasn't bored. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm giving this season a four. Uh, okay. Like I really enjoyed this show um, and I wanted to give it more, but I'm only giving it a four because I believe this show, because in, in a way I kind of do agree with what you're saying. Like it is act one. Like this is yeah. the setup of where we're going to go. And because of that, like, I feel like this show has so much more story to tell and really interesting stories to tell. So I'm giving it a bit of room to move. Yeah. That's interesting because I'm going to give it a 3.5 as 
hard as I came down on it, it's that frustration <laughs> yes. because of the potential. Because when yeah. it hits, it does hit pretty hard. Episode yep. one, I think it does. And then episode seven and eight. And it's the mm-hmm. middle parts in between that were frustrating because it just felt like it was unnecessary. Um, so I'm going to give it a 3.5. It was good. And it and it's by the ending, it was really, you know, getting towards excellent. Mm. And so I can't knock it further than that. And I really hope it does know how to build on where it's at now, where it leaves us at the end of this season mm. could be very, very compelling. I think it's honestly, it's where the story should have started basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do look forward to that. But if uh, this is a bit like Falcon the Winter Soldier, if it repeats its sins more than once, then the show has a proper problem, I think. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, guys. Now, before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the show to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1, baby. Let's do it! We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends, family, even foes, who you think might also enjoy a listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of Master of None Season 3. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of Master of None, or if you have any thoughts on Invincible, and you might well do after the diatribe I just put out there, you can write to us or send us an audio <laughs> recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingscast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for Invincible. Season 1. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Invincible. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Invincible up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Okay. Yes, Brod. <laughs> I feel like I'm being sat down at the principal's office. I'm so no, 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 no. I'm, I'm now, I now kind of just want to hear your <laughs> thoughts on that, or if there's anything that didn't mm. make sense to you about what I just sort of went through in particular. No, it's um, not that it doesn't make sense. I can see what you're saying. I think like we possibly came at this with different expectations perhaps I like full blank slate for me I hadn't heard anything about it I knew it was based on a comic book Mm -hmm. that's about all I knew um and like I said earlier I watched it week to week 
So I guess I didn't have the boredom setting in either. But one thing you touched on. I was only really watching a couple episodes at a time, to be yeah, honest. That's good. It was only, like it wasn't like I was overdoing it and binge the whole thing in a day. Yeah. Um, there was reasonable big breaks between viewing sessions mm. of like two episodes at a time. Yeah. Yeah, cool. One thing that you touched on was uh, the act one of it all. Yeah. And I and that I can understand what you're saying, but I think I was enjoying my time in the world. Um, well, I I agree that Mark isn't the most interesting of characters, but I enjoyed spending time with uh, Debbie, Sandra O's character. I yep. loved the marriage dynamic, uh, growing that out. I Loved the t- well, the, the Teen Titans is that what they're called? Teen Team Teen or Teen Team? I teen think they were, but then they became the, they they then <laughs> yes. moved into or most of them moved into the Guardians of the Globe. Yeah. Yes, um, I enjoyed spending time with them, and that might also be coloured by my absolute adoration of Jason Manzukis. Yeah. See, I thought I thought he felt out of place for a lot of this mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like Rexplosion kind of just gave me the shits rather than found... Because this is, again, where Jason <laughs> yeah. Manzukis I can find very, very funny at times. Mm. Although I've also... It's not the first time I've felt this way a little bit about a Jason Manzukis part. I didn't always love Derek in... I know you um, didn't, and I find that bizarre. In The, the Good, Good Place, place either, yeah. um, which is an interesting point. Because I like... I like um, how this get made. Mm. I generally like him as a guy and I find him very funny. And then in this, I didn't think they gave him the material to actually be good as Jason Manzoukas. I didn't think Rexplosion was funny or he was just a kind of an annoying dick. Yeah. I think the only distracting part of it was like, he doesn't sound like a young guy. No, <laughs> like, no. He really sounds like a middle-aged man, but that's okay. I could, I can forgive him anything. So I, I enjoyed that team stuff. I loved uh, Adam Eve. All of yes. that stuff I yes. was fascinated by yes. um, and her journey. I also enjoyed like the little moments with Amber, though I don't think you found her interesting at all. But I, which, I, I which liked- Which moments? <laughs> Um, I liked getting to know who she was beyond just being Mark's girlfriend. Like she was her own person, which I enjoyed. Like she cares about her community. At the mm-hmm. very beginning, we introduced to her as someone who clearly likes and respects herself and has her own passions um, and her own goals as to where she wants her life to go. And I thought that was really important to establish early on. Um, so I thought that brought, and also Zazie Beats for me is just so charming. I'm like, well, of course Mark wants to be with her. Um, oh yeah, Zazie Beats is great. Loved yeah. <laughs> her in Atlanta and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. But I disagree. See, Amber for me doesn't have. She's got no story or plotline of her own here. She likes Mark. Could Mike likes Mark likes her? Mm-hmm. Gets beat up on her behalf. Mm-hmm. She can take care of herself. She likes that for some reason in Mark. She puts up with him being shit for a long time. Eventually, we find out that she's involved in her community. And that's really more of a way to get Adam Eve to do that herself. It's not really about Amber. Amber is more of a plot point than a character, I think. what What's her story this season? Apart from forgiving Mark ultimately because he got the shit beat out of him because he's Well, I don't I'm not saying dad. that I think she has a like, full arc this season. I'm saying I'm I I'm not sure she's got I, much of a character. I but I think I know who she is as a person. I think they demonstrated that really well. I I she serves she serves Mark and she serves Adam. She doesn't serve herself. Like there's nothing 
I did not find her compelling. I didn't find her romance with Mark, which takes up a massive chunk of this season, mm. compelling on any level. It is the most basic Peter Parker, Mary Jane stuff we've done a million mm. times in other things already. And the thing See, is, I if you're going to... I found this way more interesting than any iteration of Spider-Man I've seen, other than I'm, obviously the, the homecoming thing is, stuff. I don't and... think it's necessarily that good in Spider-Man either, but that's the problem. It's like, if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. And, and, and it's already a trope. And so where the show builds itself of like, here's mm. the tropes that you're familiar with, then we're going to twist them a little bit. It's not. Un- it's like by the end of the season, we get this scene in episode in the last episode where Amber knows now uh, William, Mark's best friend, who I also didn't think was particularly good, mm-hmm. and um, Eve obviously knows who Mark is. And they've sort of formed their little like, almost like a little Scooby gang, the four yeah. of them. I was like, cool, that should have been the show. We should have been there a lot earlier because this whole no one can know Mark's secret identity rubbish was just faux drama that yeah. was in the I mean, way of the real stuff. I don't stuff. mind getting there though. Like I didn't mind the journey to get to that point. The That's everyone- why I found really boring. Like that episode yeah. where they go to college and Mark and Amber break up. It's a nothing episode. It's it's it, I this, what's memorable about that. The only thing we get out of that really is the stuff in the background that's happening with Cecil, I think it is, the guy mm-hmm. that's in charge and and e, and um Debbie is great, mm. like yes. really good. Um, and we, they get access to those monsters the guy's making, mm. which maybe can hurt Omni Man. Yeah, but from I a Mark I, perspective, I was yeah, like, yeah. This I think is a waste I, time. I, I think that's probably my least favorite episode. So I don't disagree with you there. I, th- I agree that Will isn't his own character or that interesting. I did like. I mean, I was invested in the horror of what happens to the guy that he's interested in and how that kind of backs his dad's argument about not being able to focus on just what you want. So his decision to go after Amber as opposed to help his friend kind of backs what his dad is saying. Now, his dad is saying that for entirely different reasons, but I kind of like that the emotion behind that. I, I, it, it helped the dad's argument for me because um, he was being selfish in that moment and the repercussions are huge and horrific. But, okay, I would have loved – that would have worked a lot better for me if I felt like William was affected in some way by mm-hmm. the way that ends. Mm. Um, the next episode, they're driving back and it's more about the fact that Amber and Mark have broken up and Amber's not talking to Mark. Then it is about the fact that William experienced something truly horrific. Mm. So William is not a person in that scenario. He doesn't react like a human being. I think that happens all over this show where if you're going to do horrific stuff, right? And this show is all about taking that superhero level to the level of horror and grotesquery and all those sorts of things. It hits you in a shock moment and Mm. then often doesn't go anywhere else with it. The most effective it ever is, is definitely in the finale when when Omni-Man is deliberately hurting Mark via hurting other people, right? In horrific ways. That, and when the world finally reacts to that, when they're talking about this like a 9-11 moment, 
is like, okay, now we're starting to get somewhere with, you've taken that part of it. Mm. It's like they did Man of Steel properly, right? Like Man of Steel, the whole idea of when Superman and Zod are fighting in Man of Steel and no one seems to give a shit that buildings are toppling everywhere and this Mm. isn't going to kill thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. That was like, what the fuck is going on here? Why is not Superman not reacting? This did that really, really well. It did what that movie should have done. Mm. But it takes until episode eight to get there and things along the way, human beings are not reacting like human beings. A little, I know this is this going to seem silly, but it frustrates me. They talked about the whole idea of going to Mars being like a win for the human race, right? And these astronauts get up there and they treat it like the most boring thing they've ever done in their life. <laughs> they are not human beings. They're not people. They don't act like human beings. They don't react like human beings. And so I'm left bored because I don't care about the astronauts. I don't care that Mark has to save them. They don't seem to care. And that's mm. the bit where I'm like, it's charmless and it doesn't hit me on a basic emotional level half the time because if it gets to these like the Mark's whole argument about protecting human beings, obviously that should be just that should just be true by nature mm-hmm. of being true. But the show still has to to do a little bit of work to get me there, and mm-hmm. it so often doesn't. Um, the the so that that frustrated me about the Mars episode a lot. Again, I'm not sure what I really learned from that on in any real sense. Mm-hmm. The the college episode as well. Another thing that undoes the drama of that is that yes, I get that. Mark should have been there to help William. When William gets to the manhole and Mm. sees the broken phone and the shoe and he doesn't call Mark immediately and say, I found him, but he's in a sewer. Can you please come help me? And Mm. goes down there himself. It's like, you're a fucking moron. Why the fuck would you do that? You're an idiot. You just got attacked by a cyborg creature about three hours ago. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, I I I can't care about idiots. And, and like the other thing that a side character can do, right? Someone like William can work if they're at least legitimately funny, and he's not. Mm. He's just not a funny character. He thinks he's funny. They try This is why I think the writing is bad. I didn't laugh once this entire show, and it wants me to. This is where I get frustrated by the, like, again, the ideas are strong, the execution on a script level and on a animation level keep letting it down consistently. And it's not until it finally gets to its big ideas in the last two episodes that it finally works. Mm. I mean, I just, I just don't agree with you with the execution. <laughs> <laughs> I think is is the issue here. I didn't find that the ex- execution was poor. Like, I'm, I'm not. A, I like. I don't even. I can't even see who what you're saying. I, I, I just don't. I think there's very few. Like, which are the memorable episodes for you outside the last two, and maybe the first one. And why? The memorable ones. Yeah, what are the memorable episodes? Like, which episode stands out for you and goes, whoa, that really, like, worked for me in a big way because of this? Or even particularly evocative or memorable moments that worked for you? On a character level specifically? Yeah. Um, but even on, like, an action level, what really stuck with you beyond the shock of it in the moment? I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that is happening with Debbie for me is- Agreed. So good. Totally like, agree with that. The the tension that exists in that marriage when she has suspicions. Um, so obviously their fight when um Nolan punches the wall, te- terrifying. Absolutely terrifies me. Sure. Um I mean anything with I think the Cecil stuff is really good. 
Um, is it? I can't remember. Oh no, that's episode seven. You don't want me to talk about episode seven. Um, um, no, no, not episode seven, not episode eight. Like those two, great, one hundred percent agree. I mean, yeah. So all of the Debbie stuff, I actually really enjoyed episode five when Mark is working alongside. I think his name's Titan. Titan, Mahershala Ali's character. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah. It, it stood out amongst the others as being a better episode. Sure. Yeah. Um. So all of those moments in episode five. Um, I enjoyed. Did that the- fight at the end, which goes for a very long time? Does that did that seem memorable to you? Like the 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 battle cat guy was kind of cool. And yeah, he, I mean, he went to town. He was awesome. That was <laughs> once again terrifying. I mean, that sequence did work for me, and I think it was like a a compounding factor. I think with all of these battles that we get. Because um, I think it's episode three with the alien invasion, which mm-hmm. I found kind of repetitive. Like we get I think those that's sequences. Episode two, actually, because oh, uh, Nolan's out of action until the very yeah. end of that one. I think, um, I think. So that kind of has like a repetitive nature to it. But that plus the other kind of violent sequences we get, like obviously what happens to Will's uh, partner, though I don't think they're officially dating. Um, the fight scene at the end of episode five, all of those horrific moments that Mark is experiencing has a compounding effect that infuses it with emotion for me, which is why I think I find seven and eight like the culmination of all of those moments. So I think, yeah, they, it does work for me in, in the way that it builds up. On, on some level, I think that's that's fair. Like the, the seven and eight do a good job of paying off what was there for sure. I just don't – I disagree about the horror in general because I, I, well, the problem for me is the horror does not get – you remember we actually talked about this in um, Lovecraft Country mm. where the horror started to be less impressive to me the more it went on because the characters stopped reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a similar problem here where crazy, horrific, awful stuff happens mm. and more often than not, like Kate duplicate – right, mm-hmm. is a great idea for a character. She also has her duplicates die in horrific ways over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And no one gives a shit. <laughs> and so when no one gives a shit, she doesn't give a shit. People around her don't give a shit. That that, that duplicate is now being seven in half. That person over there is now just a bunch of blood and guts. Every time you do it, loses impact. But and isn't that the very nature of her power, though? So, obviously, yes. they would have seen that a million times. So, totally. why would they then react 100%. to- 100%. But this is the problem, is that if that's the case, then no longer is it horror or gore. It's just a reality of the world. And so, mm. emotionally, it doesn't mean anything. It's not even shocking anymore. It's just a stylistic thing. It's like it takes it from being horror to being more like- like Quentin Tarantino ultraviolence, which is like cool, which is why I think this show is doing way too much of. It's more about being cool and shocking in a second than actually following up with what that means on a real level, again, until episode eight in particular. Yeah, in, in that sequence, I'm not talking specifically about what is happening to duplicates, duplicates, but like what is happening to Mark in that fight? In which one? In the one um, with all of the team teens in that apartment that office space. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He gets yeah. brutalized and it's awful. And then yeah. do you know what happens in that which makes it memorable? 
Well, when that happens, the rest of the 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 uh, global the guys of the globe go, "Oh, you made a mistake," and they react for the first time. <laughs> mm. Do you know what I mean? Like they had a human emotional reaction. They got angry and they started to change their behavior and do something about it, which doesn't happen through so much of this show that people don't react to those sorts of things. But even then, the the problem I then had was that I didn't think the action choreography or the way it was being portrayed on stream was particular it was so stilted and messy and like foreground to background elements were not being well presented it was like it was not shot or conceived in a way that made it compelling to watch it was a bunch of stuff happening um and i i that's another level where it's like if you're going to put so much action that is a very action heavy episode mm. you've got to follow through with the with the execution of that and so yeah there's finally a moment like that in there, but I was also found myself sort of like, I don't know what's happening anymore. This, what, there's too much happening on screen and it's not being well enough executed or shot well enough for me to find... Like, action needs to be presented in a format or in a way to make it compelling and it wasn't compelling, the action in that sequence to me. Apart from being brutal, which is they, which is the well they go to over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. The first time it happens is at the end of episode one, and mm-hmm. that time it's shocking because it hadn't happened before that. Mm. Every other superhero action sequence we'd seen had been comical and bloodless, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy fucking shit, this is insane. Mm. And then it happens every episode from then on, it stops being compelling, and the action's not strong enough to make it interesting beyond just being a lot of blood on screen. To me. Going back to Debbie for a second, because mm-hmm. I agree with you that the Debbie Nolan stuff is some of the better stuff in the show. Mm, yeah, in general, good. a wife who is married, what is essentially Superman in this world, learning or having to come to terms with the fact that maybe he is not who she thought he was, mm. is extremely compelling Yeah, from episode to episode to see that happen. Mm-hmm. I wish the show knew how to do that in a way that was actually a mystery, though. Mm-hmm. Rather than just me waiting for her to figure it out. Um, just so I could have some of the doubts that she was having. Though mm-hmm. I could, so I could also believe that maybe he's not as bad as is seen. I just wish the show had maybe even given me some sort of red herring that suggested that Nolan hadn't done this on his own accord. Mm-hmm. But every time he is being accused of being the murderer, he does nothing to make me think that he wasn't. Like... If he was actually convincing and saying, I didn't do this in some way, then maybe I could start to believe mm. that he was wrong. He yeah. was controlled. I, I think there like, was nothing going on there. I think I, I was watching it, I think, from the perspective of Debbie because she has her suspicions. Um, mm. And I think I obviously I f- was pretty certain that he did it. Like he was present mm-hmm. in that moment and he chose to kill them. Um, I, I think like Debbie wanted a, to know why I think. And so we see that in that scene between them when she's like, you know, just give me a reason as to why you killed our friends. And I was like, I was still holding out hope that there might've been a compelling reason. A good reason. Well, like, well, it might've been slightly morally ambiguous that it wasn't just straight out evil. Um, so then to have, to learn at the end that it was just by human standards, morally evil uh, to do that was very upsetting. Um, so I didn't mind the knowing. Um, I enjoyed the tension that was infused in those scenes just simply because we 
have seen his full capability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's terrifying. Yeah, genuinely terrifying, which I think is Absolutely. like some of the the best start, the best stuff in the boys. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the boys that I find really uninteresting. Sure. Um, but that stuff of like this Superman who is going by his own moral compass, that is something that humans uh, would disagree with. Um, so I enjoyed this kind of Spartan Superman. I enjoyed the threat against Debbie, whether she felt it or not. Like I, as an audience member, felt it as she got closer and closer and her suspicions rose. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't need it to be a mystery, but I, I think that also would have been compelling. I wouldn't have minded that either. I uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I guess I just needed anything to put me off the scent because mm-hmm. I feel... Honestly, at the end of episode one, I was like, okay, what's the bet that he's a scout that's gone ahead on behalf mm. of the Viltrumites to get ready for, for an Earth invasion? The, the giveaway was when he tells Mark the story of where he comes from, mm. right? It's the superhero origin story, except the big difference is that in that version, that planet didn't blow up, mm. right? They still exist as this amazing place, mm. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is going to be a colonization story. This is like, you go ahead, find, you know, mm. a lesser advanced civilization and you take it over. He's essentially Captain Cook. He arrived, he went back, and now he's going to bring all his mates back to take over and mm. then it's colonization. Like, that's that was a bit of a story. And it's not even new is the problem. It's like, um, that's something that we've actually, it actually reminded me kind of like Dragon Ball Z does the earth blow up thing, but the idea that this guy comes from another planet, is super powered, becomes a protector of the earth, but his people are actually invaders, mm. um, are, are hostile and want to take over other planets. Dragon Ball Z did that 30 years ago. So it wasn't that hard a leap to get there. Mm-hmm. And so every time when when he goes, you know, in episode two, I think it is, he goes through that time portal to that other place and he like takes yeah. out that civilization. He says, earth is not yours to invade mm-hmm. or earth is not yours to conquer. It was like, that doesn't change... The way he said that supports my theory because Earth is his to conquer. It's like yeah. every time every time it was trying to throw me off the scent, it actually just sort of reinforced mm. my initial theory. Whereas I was fully just like wishing for this kind of this lie, this myth um, that we have lived under, which is like the morally superior colonizers. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure he's a good guy. Like, I'm sure there's, there's, there's reasons. Um, though I was terrified of him and I was generally fearful of what he would do if someone found out um mm-hmm. i was hoping that there there was a reason a good reason yeah uh, but th- and then when we finally get to that in episode eight what's mm. good about the show is that while it, it did the thing exactly as i expected it to be it followed through in such a strong way mm. and then the ongoing fight scene and the horror oh my God. of that yeah and how it's affecting Mark on such a visceral level and does not, and Nolan is not affected by it on any level mm-hmm. and gets it to the point where Nolan takes off and leaves Mark behind, who has to figure out now what he wants to do, uh, theoretically taking the place of Omni-Man in the world, but the world is a fundamentally different place now. Mm-hmm. This is a post-Superman world, not a... It, that is extremely compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Where we leave off is dynamite. Yeah, so much of episode <laughs> eight... It's fuck. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. The conversation that Nolan has with Mark about his mum is oh, awful. but his mum being a pet. Yeah, is just yeah, it's fucking disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> so fucking terrible. Yeah. And then I'm glad we spend so much of that episode in the aftermath of what has yeah. occurred, like Debbie's breakdown. I think Sandra O oh is so good in this role. Like Debbie's 
breakdown is, I mean, I was beside myself. I was so upset for her. Um, Mark being just lost, um, but then also with the chasm that is left behind by this um, this saviour of the earth and teams and individuals like we get in Teen Team or whatever, the Guardians of the Globe or whatever, is nice mm-hmm. to see and I'm excited to see what is going to happen in season two. Yeah, I thought this was a really good act one and I'm yeah. so fucking keen for season two. Functionally, I agree. Again, it's execution through the middle section that left me kind of like, why? I, where are we going? Mm-hmm. I, I want to stop talking about that though. I've been ta- talking about it for too long. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, so you really liked the robot stuff. Um, yeah. I... I don't know. I I thought it was fine. Um, I was a little, I don't know if confused is the right word, but with his attachment to Monster Girl. That made perfect sense to me. It, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but also I'm not sure if I felt it, if you know what I sure, mean. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, whether or not that connection is really there or not, I think what is clever is they've not really – taken to the point of saying these two are going to be mm. are forever entwined, right? It's more... So, you gotta, you got to think about it from Robot's perspective because Robot is not Robot. He's Rudy, right? Mm. And he was living through this vessel and he sees this other person who is also trapped in a body that they're older than they appear to be, right? Mm. They are not... She's something like in her 30s or whatever or 25, but she looks like a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how... That means dating is really hard. Like, she doesn't want to date a teenager because Mm. then she's an adult. (laughs) But if she dates an adult, then they're probably on some sort of list (laughs) because if they're into her, they shouldn't be, right? Yeah. And so, on a just human level, this is what I mean when it's like it's taken a a science fiction superhero idea Mm. and made you go, now, what if? How does this work? And so, the robot thing... I expect, I don't know, for some reason I, I thought where they were going with his mystery of why he's taking the DNA from Rex and like why he's letting out the clone brothers and stuff like that. Mm. I was like, what? where's this going? Why is he a malevolent force? Mm. And then the reveal that he wasn't, that he was this really a teenager pretending to be some a robot because for whatever reason he is what he is, hyper-intelligent, a genius, but his body is basically unusable. Mm-hmm. He's able to create a body for himself that makes him age appropriate to Monster Girl, someone else who struggles with like being in a body they can't control. Mm. I see why he draws an attachment yeah. to her I and guess why I he just, finds a way to make it work, conceptually yeah. at least. I think I just, yeah, had like whiplash perhaps, like in that. Because okay. as you said, like he, you feel like he's like this benevolent force. Like, why is he getting everyone's DNA? The clone brothers. Force, are- I should said, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, why has he got the clone brothers? Like yep. all of that stuff. I was like, okay, what's going on here? This robot creeps me out. Um, yeah. What's what's going on? And then I had that whiplash of like, oh, these are his intentions. Yes. Um, now I just feel confused and shocked. Like going to the globe where when he walks out, like that's how I felt. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is, is this? And I think because I was still in such like, this shocked, confused mentality. I, I don't know. It was 
It didn't hit for me, I suppose. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And like it doesn't hit as hard as where they finally get to with Nolan and, and Mark by the last episode. It's not that visceral. Mm. But I think it was a legitimate mystery with a legitimately interesting payoff mm. and legitimately interesting sci-fi ideas that was executed well enough that I was like, oh, cool. That was a new... That, and it also felt fresh. Too mm-hmm. much of this show didn't feel fresh for me apart from it being ultra-violent. Yeah. And so, like I said, all the Mark stuff just reminded me of standard Peter Parker crap. Mm-hmm. Whereas this was new. This is like, oh, this is a version of the complexities of what it's like to be a mm. Hulk-type creature or a, a genius superhero you know, with a deformed body. Like I've not mm. seen this story told before. Yeah. And because of that freshness, I found it far more yeah. compelling I think than the other like, stuff was going on. That uh, subplot will also be helpful for me moving forward, I think, because I was under the assumption that all of the moving elements were um, feeding the main plot, I suppose. And yes, while this one, yeah. this one does in terms of like kind of tangentially in terms of um creating that in what's that invincible guy not invincible immortal Immortal. yeah like obviously that does feed into the main plot um just because of the clone brothers being there but now i can reframe it moving forward into season two that well we've got a lot of different moving parts they're not perhaps all of the same machine necessarily which is probably going to be helpful because that was my expectation and for it to not do that was confusing. It was it, it was tricky, I think, because the show didn't do a great job of delineate, delineate de- making it obvious that those things could be so separate. Because yes. the way that we're introduced to the the teen team first, mm. Invincible's relationship with Adam Eve, her relationship yeah. with that group, um, we didn't really get to know the previous Guardians of the Globe because there only could only be in episode one. Mm-hmm. It did feel like they had to be more connected overall to the to the main story. Mm. And when you're cutting between what Nolan's doing, what Mark's doing, and what Debbie's doing, mm. which is your A plot, and then you've kind of a tiny bit of B and C plot with Adam Eve doing her thing and then what Robot's doing in the guys. It is a lot going on mm. in what's only six hours of television. Um, you... I think it's forgivable to think it all is meant to sort of tie in together. In fact, more often than not in comic books, I think I found that, that is true. Yeah. It's very rarely, especially when it felt like we might only get the one season. There was no guarantee of a season two or three going on here that it would all tie in neatly. And it doesn't. And that's fine. It, but mm. this is where I felt like what was happening with Adam Eve, which I want to talk about in a second, and what's happening with Robot could have been their own comic books or stories mm-hmm. or TV shows even. And I would have found them equally as compelling they didn't need to be attached to what was happening with Mark. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, go on. Oh, I just wanted to kind of move away from that. Um, with the stuff that was happening with Cecil and that yes. shadowy government agency. I mean, I always kind mm-hmm. of love that type of story. Sure. Um, I love a government agency that uh, making moves that aren't always clear to you as a viewer. I think um, Cecil as a character is particularly good. Yes. Because it feels like... He has honourable intentions, but his methods are obviously mm-hmm. very, very grey yes. in terms of how, like, he has impossible threats to deal with mm-hmm. and he needs to use whatever means are necessary and sometimes those means are pretty fucked. Yeah. Um, I think, like, initially um, he has kind of this antagonistic 
nature like that exists um, between him and Nolan, which made sure. me go, well, there probably is a reason that Nolan doesn't want to be investigated by this guy. Maybe he's been biding his time to get rid of someone like Omni-Man. And then as we move through, while, yes, Cecil's um, methods aren't always great, um, to say the least, at the end, like, I really fucking liked that character and he was trying to do the right thing. He wanted to keep Debbie and Mark safe. He wanted to have as much information as he could possibly have about not only Omni-Man's intentions but, you know, ways in which they could defeat him. All of those things coming together really worked for me and I am still fascinated by that character. And I don't wholly understand him and I really like that as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that again, this is where I think that the part, some of the time, it's an execution problem because what your reaction to Cecil, I think, was the one you were meant to have, and mm. I didn't necessarily have that because mm-hmm. apart from having a scarred face, I didn't really feel like they were doing a great job of making him feel malevolent mm. for a lot of it, or that he was that shady. I what I was getting more was what the show. Again, maybe I just felt like they. I I don't know whether they want it to be a mystery or not. And that's mm. where I'm not sure the show knew whether it wanted these things to be a mystery or not. Uh, Nolan just always felt antagonistic to the point of being guilty, mm-hmm. which I already suspected he was. And Cecil, rightly, <laughs> wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like there was nothing about... I found him compelling as a character, particularly because he just has to struggle with his different methods. Mm. Um, he's in a man in a very, very difficult place to do the right thing all the time. Um but I don't think the show really ever made me feel like he wasn't one of the good guys. Yep. In a particularly strong way. Um, I honestly, 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 honestly think it comes down to the writing just not quite being sophisticated enough and the animation also. And I mean animation again on a just a on a sometimes the way a scene is shot and framed, mm-hmm. not doing enough to give me those contextual and visual clues. What about Adam Eve? Uh, I ge- generally just found where they took her to was such a compelling place. I wanted to see more of that. The idea yeah. of, okay, she thinks that being a superhero her whole life, she's felt like being a superhero has to mean fighting, and fighting alien invading forces. But mm-hmm. what if she just helped end world hunger? Mm. I was like, cool. I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's yeah. a legitimately very good question because why don't superheroes just do that? Yes. Particularly <laughs> and- those with like her kind of abilities that could just yeah. go in and in terms of like, making environmental change like why wouldn't you do that so yeah, yeah. i re- i found that very satisfying to watch that little b plot in a couple of episodes yep. um i you know i enjoyed where we start off with her in terms of, like she's in a pretty like comfortable comfortable space um you know she's got her her boyfriend she's got her team she's doing what is expected of her yep. and then when that falls apart um she doesn't have the support of her family and she needs some independence and purpose and goes out and finds it for herself which is really good and then yes Mm -hmm. the way that that is actually presented to us is like I said very satisfying to watch I'm fascinated to know um the consequences of that because that's a really positive story and so I think in season two I'm really looking forward to seeing well what does it mean for the planet and the people Mm. on the planet um if you go in and you are changing their environment and it like down to the atoms like what like what does that actually mean for the planet um i'm really excited to see because there's got to be for that rise there's got to be a fall and yeah i want to see what that's going to be 
And it can happen on multiple levels. It could be that, like, if she's messing with the environment, is that having a catastrophic consequence? Mm-hmm. If you're going in there and you are just creating equality or for all, right, mm-hmm. that's going to piss people off who yep. who profit from inequality. So mm-hmm. what sort of enemies is she going to create? Is, like, what is the overall cost on her humanity as she does more of that? Is it always going to feel like she's helping or is it going to feel like a never-ending struggle that she could never, ever mm. really get in front of completely? Like, there are so many questions there because yeah. I've never felt that's been explored before. Um, but, yes, I'm genuinely compelled by that idea and I hope they do follow through in a meaningful way in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, because right when I was sitting here frustrated by the college stuff, that was happening with Mark and Amber and William. This stuff was happening with Eve. And I was like, give me that show. That's the show I want to be watching right now. That's such a much more interesting idea than more Peter Parker crap. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes, Damask? No. As per (laughs) usual, I don't. Uh, I have a few. I love Mm -hmm. the title gag. Every time mm-hmm. that Invincible is said for the first time in the episode is, and there could be twenty to thirty minutes into the episode. Sometimes <laughs> that's when we yeah. finally get the episode, the the title card. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of episodes had a mid credit sequence as well, which I, which is which is the norm apparently mm-hmm. at this stage, just with superhero stuff on screen. I thought the ch- the choice of name in Grayson was really interesting because. Dick Grayson is like Robin, the first Robin from Batman. I was like, that's a really interesting choice of right, okay. last name. It's such a famous superhero surname already. I was, I was, why was that one chosen? And Robin of all people. Um, never really got my head around that necessarily. Love the idea that Immortal was Abe Lincoln. Look <laughs> <Back> at <in> the day. <laughs> yeah. Very, very fleeting moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do have to rewind and go, is that what you're telling me there? That's actually a cool idea. <laughs> I have a legitimate question for you, and this is a plot question that maybe it's answered out there. I'm just an idiot. Mm-hmm. Was it ever explained exactly why why Nolan killed the Guardians of the Globe when he did? Is it because it was Mark had just got his powers for the first time? I think so, because I think he wanted to know um, before he went back and got his colonizer army okay. to know if he'd have, yeah. So he wanted to make sure that Mark had his powers. Yeah. So it wasn't that there was like the invasion is coming, they'll be here any day, I need to make sure that they're gone. I, do, I mean, I don't remember that being put out there, no. Okay. Why did he... I, I The timing of it is one of the... The, the, the choice to kill the guys of the globe the way he did mm. and when I think is full of plot holes if you think about it. He's <laughs> yeah. not really and that well just the fact that he did it and then had to pretend that he hadn't done it. I'm mm. not really sure why. If he was ready to invade the planet at that point, he should have just pissed off and got them and come back. Or mm. waited until if he needed Mark to be ready, waited a little bit longer until Mark was ready. Like yeah. the timing or if he, of it, he had like um yeah, got Mark on his side. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't it only makes sense to drive the plot. It doesn't make yeah. sense from an actual strategic point of view. I don't really understand it. I agree with I also, that, yeah. I'm also not even 100% sure why he needed Mark. Because he talks about if he get if he kills Mark in the final battle of this season, he'll just wait 17 years and get and have another son, mm-hmm. right? Um, Why does he need a prodigy? I don't think he does need a prodigy. I think um, while I think Omni-Man likes to think that he hasn't actually 
learnt anything. But I think he likes Mark. He likes his son and he wants his son around. Okay. Yeah. He he uh, And he would want an earth-bound son to some degree. A, a son that is part human but mostly Viltramite. I mean, not necessarily part human, but I think he has an attachment to Mark. Oh, I see. Okay, so when he says, I can wait 17 more years, mm. he means that's not that's a speck in my lifespan. I yeah. can just wait. Okay, yeah, fair enough, fine. I can I can handle that. That's cool. Um, I also just think it's ridiculously dense. And it, I, the explanation that I guess I wanted you to find it with li- keeping the superhero, Blade superhero costume in a bag, like above a curtain rod or whatever it was, <laughs> is fucking dumb. <laughs> Like he should have shot that thing in space. Put it anywhere else except inside <laughs> your own house. You can literally get to Italy in a second flat to mm. go and pick up fucking dinner. Could you, if you're not gonna, don't want to destroy it? If there's some central mental reason for keeping it, is there anywhere else on earth you could have put that thing? <laughs> Top of Everest, bottom of the fucking ocean, anywhere else? Maybe he's just that cocky. It's, oh, it's it, yeah. It's it yeah. Okay, sure. Don't get. I'm not gonna get angry again. Uh, <laughs> least favorite and favorite episode. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? Um, I think it's probably gonna have to be episode six. Um, yep. yeah. Well, I did like the emotions around um William and his bow. Uh, yeah. It did feel like. A, a middle episode um, where we were kind of like, okay, we're doing this. Though I did um, – oh, and also the monster girl recovering and robot by her side. At that point, I was like, what are we doing? I don't I don't understand sure. what this is. Um, but then we also have like Debbie finding out about Omni-Man, which is great stuff. So I did yeah. like that. But, yeah, I'll probably go with episode six. I'm going to go with episode four, Neil Armstrong, Eat Your Heart Out. It's like dead center of the season. And I was kind of left scratching my head as to what we were doing and why. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily understand what was we gained from this Mark going off world plot, what we gained from spending time with the Martians and their plight, apart from some sort of, I don't know, irony that them being there meant that the the invading force that had been failing for so long now succeeds. <laughs> Is it set up for something later? Maybe yeah. in the midst of this storyline, I couldn't have given a shit. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what was your favourite episode? Uh, episode eight. Mm-hmm. I think all the conversations between Omni-Man and Mark are incredibly upsetting. Um, and then we have those horrifying scenes of when he uses Mark pretty much as a bowling ball to just, like, knock down an entire fucking city. We have him holding Mark's head yeah. through a subway, which is awful. And then I really enjoyed um, the aftermath scenes of um, the repercussions of what it means to realise that the hero, the saviour of the world, um, was actually going to be its downfall. Mm. I think I'm going to go with episode seven, We Need to Talk, mm-hmm. in terms of it, the payoff is excellent episode eight, but the the build into that and to finally mm. get to that to that point where they need to have that discussion, the mm-hmm. ending of that scene, didn't need a mid-credit sequence, Nolan kills a mortal in front of Mark mm. and they need to talk and finally we're there. And even just, I loved the the 
the moral complexity of the situation where Mark doesn't know yet what the deal with Nolan is, but yeah. right now Cecil is doing is trying everything to kill Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's possibly including using Mark, though Mark doesn't know that yet, and Debbie having to watch this all happen. Mm. There was such a dramatic awfulness to that scenario that I found it extremely compelling. And again, it was like we finally got to the place where the build-up was paying off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really, really, really liked that episode. A lot. Episode eight very easily could have been the same. Those, the, the, the final two episodes are excellent. Excellent. Really, I want to say it, very good. And it makes me excited going forward. Speaking of <laughs> predictions, hopes, and concerns, what are you thinking about next season? We've already spoken about Eve. Um, They've also set up uh, a new element of Titan being that kind of head honcho in terms Mm -hmm. of that street level. So if we have more side stories beyond the universe uh, battles. Um, So we'll have our street heroes and Titan perhaps having a bit of a battle. I'm interested to see what will happen there. Um, We also have... Alan, I think his name, the alien mm-hmm. at the end of this season. Obviously, there's this kind of united army um, against Nolan's Almost people. A, an alliance of rebels yeah. against an empire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I'm Never fascinated before, to see ever. how that plays out. I'm really looking forward through that meeting all different types of beings. I think that'll be really, really fun. Um, and I also kind of want to know, now that I know um, about Robot, what exactly that means for him and Monster Girl, yeah. what it's going to be like for him to have access to a body, all of that stuff. I, I Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested now. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that like what that actually means on a relationship level between Monster Girl and Robot, mm. like that, that's going to be explored and should be because mm-hmm. just because they might work on a – conceptual level because they're both, you know, yeah. I mean, does she there. really want to be fucking a 13-year-old boy? <laughs> I don't know about that. We, it, It's such an interesting question because it, it's just a brilliant what if mm. that to then take it beyond the, okay, I guess this kind of works it from a very, like, logistical point of view. It makes sense that these two things, these two people are compatible, does mm. that not that doesn't mean anything about them on a personal level. And so when you've only feels like you've got one choice on the planet of who you can be with romantically, is that enough? Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. Like that's that's compelling to me. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. The Eve stuff yesterday we talked about. Yeah. What happens next? I think Mark is finally in the place where him his choice to be a superhero is compelling because up and through most of this season, it's literally just like I want to be like my dad. Mm-hmm. And now that question is fundamentally much di- more difficult for him because his dad is not who he thought he was. Mm-hmm. Again, at the end of Act One, that should be the main thrust of the story. Yeah, and so dramatically, Mark is just so much more compelling now. Yes, um, like I think- yeah, the whole the chasm of like you have a role model. Yes, and then for that role model to be destroyed in every way, to then kind of figure out how you can. Build a new one. Who do yes. you who do you look to? Do you look at yourself? All of that stuff. Like, yeah, it's far more compelling. Far for Mark's more compelling journey, than for Mark's journey going forward. Yeah. Then, can I have a successful relationship with this girl? Like, <laughs> dead set. That was that was yeah. the most pressing thing in his life for most of this season. 
And now that Amber knows, mm. now that William knows and Eve can talk to them openly about and they all mm. know and the four of them can hang out, I think those four oh. might even work Let's dynamically. Let's make a chosen family, folks. You know how much I love that. Right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Eve is not you know, particularly close with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, that, there's a struggle there. They're going to choose each other as if, yeah, like, yeah. Let, yes, let's stuff. go. That's yeah. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just took a long time to get there. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can forward all your hate mail uh, to us, <laughs> to me specifically, via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hyle of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss Master of None Season 3. Mm. I'm kind of excited that this has come out of nowhere. Like, me so too. often it feels nice like a big surprise. build up. Yeah, mm. it is a nice little surprise. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. 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 